Jackson Bible School that is coming up a little less than three weeks away, July 15th through the 17th. It is for K through 6th grade. That is a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, July 15, 16, and 17. Uh, volunteers are needed. You can sign up online for Vacation Bible School, or you can sign up to volunteer to help in some way. We really do hope that you will plan on coming. If you have kids in that age bracket, K through 6, uh, bring them to Vacation Bible School. It's going to be uh, vacation. VBSs here are always good, and uh, we are excited about this one coming up very soon. So just put that on the calendar if you don't already have it there and sign up online. Uh, it'll be a good time for our congregation. I, uh, I wonder, I'm not going to ask at all for a show of hands, because I, well, for different reasons, but one of them is I think I know the answer to this question. How many of us in this room struggle with fear or anxiety or worry at times? Um, I think the answer to that is most of us do, maybe all of us do. We, we struggle with what's going on around us. Uh, we struggle about some tests that we are anticipating. We, we struggle, we worry, we think about what might happen, what could happen. It probably won't, but it could happen, and we worry. We worry about our kids and grandkids. We worry about the country. We worry about the church. We worry about the people we love. We worry about our health. We worry about the economy. I mean, the list goes on, right? And yet, Jesus has called us to live a different kind of life. You know, I'm not going to suggest to you that I'm going to give you like three things you can do and by tomorrow night you're going to be done with worry forever. It's not quite that simple. It's a pretty complicated thing. And we're human beings and we struggle in certain ways. But what I do want to offer you, I believe that Jesus teaches us this here, is I want to offer you a different way of viewing life. Now, many of you embrace this, but, but it might be that we embrace it intellectually, but we don't embrace it emotionally. We don't embrace it with every aspect of our being. We know this, and you're here this morning because you, you already know that to be true. You, you view this world through that lens, but sometimes your heart forgets about it, and you struggle. In Matthew 6, Jesus is dealing with a very real thing. He's talking to us about anxiety. Um, it's some. Um, it's a struggle. I want to try my best. You can define anxiety. I think we probably know what it, what it feels like. We've, we've been there. But I want to try my best to describe it to you a little bit and, and paint a picture here that might make it a little bit more. I want, I want you to think about this in a way that's healthy and helpful today. Here's what anxiety looks like. Anxiety looks like the tears running down the cheeks of a single mom as she struggles and asks God, begs God to help her to be a mom to these kids who don't have a present father. Anxiety is the catch in the throat of the young couple awaiting the OB to come back into the room. They're so, so worried about what she's going to say. Anxiety is the wide open eyes of the parents at 2 o'clock in the morning. Their 17-year-old son has broken curfew again. He's not responding to text or calls. They don't know where he is. They don't know what's happened. Anxiety is the ulcers and hypertension of the middle-aged executive who's under constant pressure. 
and thinks that this might be the year when he buckles, just can't, can't do it anymore. Anxiety is the wringing of hands of the older couple as they are concerned about the direction of the country and they're afraid of what it's going to be like when their grandkids or kids or great-grandkids grow up. What's it going to be like? What's the world going to be like if it continues on the current trajectory? Anxiety is the tremor in the voice of a woman who returns to an empty house after bearing her husband of several decades. Anxiety is the fake smile and the forced enthusiasm of a teenage girl who's tired of the ostracism and meanness of her peers at school and every morning when she heads off to school she feels that something that in the pit of her stomach it's just hard once again to face those pressures and those challenges. That's, anxiety takes those, it, it looks like that and a million other things. And, and I think probably you know, you know, you've been there. You've, your pillow has been wet at 3 o'clock in the morning with your tears. You've lain there with eyes wide open. You've awakened early in the morning when your sleeping's not supposed to be done yet and you're so concerned about the challenges of that day. Anxiety is very real, you know? It's very real. I mean, I think we can probably relate this to some extent to what's going on the last 15, 16 months here. I think I've had counselor friends who've told me that they have experienced an unprecedented number of calls in the last six, eight months, tying it directly to the experiences that so many people in the world have gone through in the last year or so, you know, with, with COVID, with social unrest, with turbulent kind of, I don't know, emotional, divisive time in the country. And so many people are struggling, kind of reeling from that, you know, so many people. It's been tough. It's been tough. And all that stuff going on in the world and, and still the last 15, 18 months, life has still been lived. People still get cancer. People still get heart disease. Kids still rebel. We have a hard time as parents. And marriages sometimes struggle. Relationships are hard. And work hasn't gotten any easier. And so we have all these pressures and adding to it all the stuff going on in the world around us. And it's no surprise that many people think we're in unprecedented levels of anxiety in our country. Maybe even here. Maybe, maybe even in this room, we've got people who just in the last few days have thought, man, this anxiety is really, really tough. I'm, I'm struggling with it. If, if that's you, I hope you know you're not alone in that. Because this is something that people struggle with, even Christians. Christians struggle with this because of different things. In fact, I, wanna, I really want to spend a bit of time there. I, that, that's what anxiety looks like. You probably already know. You know what it feels like. But I want us to, to, to think a little bit about where it comes from. And Jesus helps us here. appreciate Stephen's reading this text. I appreciate those, especially those two songs just prior to the sermon as Jason uh, led sermons that, uh, led songs that relate to this. You know, the God is watching. He's, he's concerned. He knows what's going on. He cares about you and seeking first the kingdom of God. We're going to get there in just a minute. But I'd like for you to think with me for a minute about where this stuff comes from. Certainly there probably are genetic components that seem to be genetic components to most things that we struggle with, you know. 
that there are certainly environmental things that go on, there are genetic things, environmental things, but there's also something going on here that's a little bit deeper than that. And I think we as Christians believe that with most of our struggles, it's not just the genes we got from our parents, and it's not just the way we were raised, not just the environment we were raised in, but there's also this spiritual component that can help us to understand why we're facing this, why we're, why we're struggling with this anxiety, you know, this, this fear, this constant worry, this lack of sleep, these physical problems that result from the internal and spiritual and emotional struggles that we're having. And I think the answer to this, it's not a simple one, but there is, there is a reason for this that goes back to our relationship with God. And, and I want to go back. I, we, we do this a lot, and, and there's a reason we do it a lot, is because I think this explains a lot. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there was at the root of their rebellion a spirit that relates to the anxiety that you're struggling with now. And I want to, I want to try to explain this to you just, just for a couple minutes. Everything's good, Genesis 1 and 2. Remember that. Creation's good, everything's good. It's very good. Genesis 3 comes, the serpent speaks to Eve, and he essentially says, you know, Eve, you could have a much better life than what you got. Uh, what you've got is really a watered-down version of the good life. And see, what you need is you need to eat the fruit because on the other side of the eating of the fruit is a kind of experience that you could have but God is selfishly withholding from you. That's kind of the implication of what the serpent said to Eve. The day that you eat of it, when you eat of this fruit, you will be like gods. See, what that means is you will get to reign as a god with no one to answer to. See, here's the thing about this. When God created us, He created us to reign under Him. There's all kinds of regal, royal, king and queen-like language in Genesis 1 and 2. I don't know if you knew that or not. God created us to be stewards. He created us to reign over the earth. We are going to be subject to His authority, but we're reigning over the earth. We're reigning over this beautiful, this beautiful world that God has created for us. The animal world being subject to us, and we're taking care of the planet. We are kings and queens. We are created in the image of God, and we are subject only to Him. We're subject to all. He's the king of kings, but we are kings and queens. God's stewards reigning on the earth. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 describe. But you know what happened in Genesis 3 is the serpent said to Eve, and by implication to Adam, is you can do more than that. You don't need to submit yourself to God. You can be your own gods. Now, here's what you may be thinking. Well, what does this have to do with anxiety? Here it is. What is within us? As a result of the fall of Genesis 3 and of our being human beings who have followed in the footsteps of our ancestors, is that we instinctively want to be in control. We want to be in control. We want to be able to move the pieces around the board. We want to navigate our lives with this kind of precision control. I can control you, and I can control you, and I can control that and this. And if I can get all that, just if you'll just do what I want you to do, if, you know, if, if I can just control all this stuff, and then my life will be great because I'm really good at controlling stuff. Now, truth is, we're not good at controlling it, but we think we are. 
You see, this comes out of, this comes out of the fall. This comes out of this, this thing in us where we want to be God. And when we can't be God in this broken world, we have anxiety because we worry about, well, if I can't control this, man, I don't know how that MRI is going to come back, and I have absolutely no control over that MRI. And, and when we feel ourselves losing control of our, of our kids, of our children, you know, we, we have this, like, they're going to make their own decisions. They're going to leave the house. They're going to they're gonna marry, and they're, they're going to, man, they're going to choose their careers and their, their jobs and all this stuff. And I can't control that. And man, that brings about some anxiety. And so it could be health, it could be work, but generally speaking, anxiety is related to a desire to control and the realization that we can't. Do, do you see what I'm saying? I think this is exactly what, and it, that's what's going on in Genesis 3. Hey, you can be like God. You can be like God. The thing is, they were already in such, a, such, a, such an important position, such an awesome position, but Satan's temptation was, you can be more than that. You can control it all. We're not very good at controlling stuff. There's a lot of evidence that supports that. I love this quote from Martin Luther. He had a good friend, Philip Melanchthon. You've heard of Luther. You may not have heard of Melanchthon before. But Melanchthon was someone who struggled with anxiety often, and he was in a particular, particularly difficult bout with it. And I love what Luther said to him. This is Martin Luther speaking to his friend Philip Melanchthon. He said, let Philip cease to rule the world. That was his response to his friend who was struggling with anxiety. Let Philip cease to rule the world. You see what he's getting at? Philip, you ain't in control, man. You're not going to be in control. And unless you release that, unless you, unless you release that, you're going to constantly struggle with these feelings that are in you right now. Let Philip cease to rule the world. Jesus hinted at that. And that song we sang pointed this out. Jesus hinted at it when he said, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That's Jesus' gentle and kind way of saying, you're not in control of your life. You can't do it. You can't have a single hour in your life. Not a single one. But what if I eat right and exercise? I don't think Jesus would say that that's a waste of time, but I think he would say, look, you put so much emphasis on controlling, and, and if I do this, I'll get that outcome, and, and I'm, I'm losing control here. And, and I'll... You know, I think one thing about it is when we have these like particularly difficult moments of anxiety, oftentimes it's related to it's related to a a, a present moment that points out our lack of control. Here, so let me explain it like this: like when you are in a situation where you're in like an acute moment of anxiety, your you know doctor says uh, he doesn't like what he what the blood work shows, going to do more tests, and so you know. Come back on Thursday, we'll get the results on Monday, whatever. And you're in that situation, you feel this anxiety coming about. And, and, and some of it is, is because at that moment, you realize you don't have any control. You're helpless. You just got to wait. That's an awful feeling, and you feel the anxiety just boiling up, you know. What, what has happened in that moment? What, what has happened then? 
It's not that you had control before and now you don't. What's happened is that moment has made you come face to face with the fact that you don't have control. The control factor hasn't changed from last week to this week, but what has changed is you had to realize, you had to admit to yourself, I'm not in control. You weren't in control last week before you ever knew about the blood work problem, right? You see what I'm saying there? It's this, 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 the, what's happened is you now have to realize, I have to realize this, I can't control this thing. I am out of control in this situation, which causes anxiety. All right, that's where it comes from, I think. That's the spiritual component here, is this desire within us. It's this sinful impulse within us. We want to be God. We want to move all this stuff around, make it happen the way we want. All right, let's spend the rest of our time here. This is probably what you want us to focus on anyway. Okay, so what do we do? Where do we go with this? Well, Jesus helps us. Jesus helps us here. Notice this word in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. Uh, He says down in verse 28, consider the lilies of the field. You know what these words mean? Can look and consider. They're actually words that have to do with thinking. With, um, with, with, with getting, getting in control of your, of your mind. It's, Jesus doesn't say, by the way, that faith is absent of thinking. Jesus never teaches us that. He, d- he doesn't teach us that faith means just like accepting everything without even going in through any kind of thinking activity. No, Jesus doesn't teach that. In fact, here he says, your, 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 your response to this anxiety is, He uses this this thinking word. You need to look at. You need to consider. These are cognitive kind of words. You need to think through this. And so, and it's it's like Jesus is saying this. Look, your heart is going to believe all sorts of stuff. Your heart, man, your heart is going to tell you the world is falling in. Your your heart is going to think of the worst possible outcome. Your heart is going to do all sorts of crazy stuff. That's what hearts do. That's what hearts do. Your heart is going to come up with the worst possible scenario, worst possible outcome, and you're going to find yourself going down that trail, and anxiety is where it's going to end. I mean, you're going to, going to camp out there, right? That's what your heart does. What Jesus says is, you've got to talk to your heart. You've got to, you've got to preach the gospel to yourself. You've got to talk to your heart, because your heart is going to go in all sorts of crazy places. So faith for Jesus is thinking. And there are two things here that he says we need to tell our hearts. Because with this thinking problem comes this struggle with anxiety. And, and I think in, um, well, when he's talking about the birds of the air and the, and the grass of the field, you know, the lilies of the field, he says, first of all, in fact, there are, t- there are two things here. He says you need to tell your heart about the providence of God. You need to tell your heart about the providence of God. We as Christians believe this. At least we think we say we believe it. And we think we believe it. I just don't know we always actually believe it. You know, the providence of God. You know what providence, you see the root word of providence is the word provide. We do. He says, Jesus says, look at, look at the birds of the air. God, God, God feeds them. We, we sang that song about it a minute ago. The, the lilies of the field, they, they grow, they neither toil nor, nor spin. God, God takes care of them. God takes, God takes care of the birds of the air. He takes care of the lilies of the field, the grass of the field. He takes care of that stuff. You see, what we've got to do 
when we're thinking about anxiety is we've got to speak to our hearts and we've got to tell our hearts to think about the providence of God. That is, who's in control? Who's in control of everything? You see, it goes back to this loss of control, this feeling that we don't have any control. And it's a very real feeling because we don't have control. But the thing is, the person in control is so much better than we are. You know, I think, and you probably think this too, man, if I could just control, if the people in my life would do what I want them to do, and if these situations here would just, if I could just control those situations, and I had that, and I had this, and I got all these, it's like a, like a chessboard here, and I could just move these pieces around at will, my life would be so good. But you know what? The evidence suggests that even in the areas where we do control, we're not any good at it. We're not any good at it. What Jesus is saying here is you've got to tell your heart that the one, the one who loves you more than anything in the world is in control. He's the one who provides. He's the one, he's the one who is sovereign, omnipotent. He's divine. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's in control. You know, I, I love passages like this one. This is a pretty famous passage. And though it doesn't mean everything that everybody says it does, it does mean something pretty cool. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are the called according to his purpose. Don't you love that passage? God works all things together for good to those, for those who are called according to his purpose. And it doesn't mean, and, and there's where I don't want you to misread the verse. I don't want you to think it means that if you pray hard enough, then you're going to get the job promotion. Or if you pray hard enough, then the cancer is definitely going to go away. Or if you pray hard enough, that your child is going to come out of that rebellious spirit by next Friday. It doesn't work that way. That's not what the verse means. The verse doesn't mean that God's going to work things out according to what I think is good. It means that God is sovereign and God can see the end from the beginning and He can see all these things that I can't see, that you can't see. He knows everything that we don't know. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. He knows every heart, every desire, every person, all the, all the contingencies here. He's got all this stuff in His mind and He is working to bring about what's best for you in the long term. You believe that? Don't answer that. But think about it. See, I think let's be honest. And I'll be honest. I'll tell you I believe that. But sometimes I don't really. Because it's one thing to say I believe something intellectually. And it's another thing for that to permeate your entire being. And for your instinctive response to a situation not to be one of anxiety, but rather to be one of, it's okay because I serve a sovereign God. Because I serve a God who takes care of the birds of the air and the grass of the field. And therefore, I trust that He's going to work this thing out. Does that sound like a little bit too hyper-spiritual maybe? Does that sound a little bit too good? And I know it's not that simple. I'm not suggesting to you that, that this is just something you do and everything's going to work out and you're going to live an anxiety-free life. You know, immediately, that's not the way this works because we still struggle with the flesh. We struggle with our humanity. We struggle with our hearts. And it's so, so difficult. 
But what Jesus is saying is that we got to talk to our hearts. we got to speak to our hearts. And we got to preach the gospel. And the gospel is that God is in control and we're not. Remember the story of Joseph? Uh, Joseph went through all sorts of stuff. His brothers, older brothers, you know, so, so they were going to kill him. They didn't kill him. Instead, they just sold him into slavery. Just sold him into slavery. Went away into slavery for quite a while. Stuff, bad stuff happened there. He ended up in prison, not because of something he did, but because of a false accusation. Went to prison for a couple years. Got out of prison. God worked all this out and, and brought Joseph to a position of prominence. But it took years and years for that to happen. Joseph went through all sorts of mess before he got there. His brothers, near the end of their lives, they came to him after their father had died. They knew, they thought, well, Joseph is going to get us now. You know, he's going to let us have it because now dad's, dad's gone and he doesn't have that restraining factor and Joseph's going to, Joseph has power. He's going to just, man, he's going to make life miserable for us. And Joseph's response to their, they're like, please don't do anything. Dad wouldn't want you to. And uh, Joseph's response is one of the most off-quoted verses in the book of Genesis you meant it for evil. You, you can finish this, right? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for what? For good. What? Slavery? My, my, my being sold into slavery? That? What? My being in prison for two years? That was, that was good? Are you kidding me? That was good. See, Joseph had a perspective in Genesis 50 that he didn't have in Genesis 39, certainly, when he was... Wondering how in the world is this thing going to work out when I'm down in Egypt with people who've bought me. Or when I'm in prison as a result of this false accusation. That doesn't seem good. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't look good. I don't see how this is any good at all. And yet, in the Genesis 50 perspective, he looks back and he's like, Oh, okay. God was right. I wish he could have done it a different way. I wish I, I, couldn't he have gotten me here without the prison stuff? See, all things work together for good. You've got to tell your heart that he takes care of the birds, he takes care of the grass, he takes care of Joseph, he takes care of Abraham, takes care of these situations, and he takes care of you. In the big picture. That's what Romans 8, 28 means. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. And that's why we can obey this. As hard as it may be, this, this command from Paul in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> For real? Do not be anxious about anything. Listen to this. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now... <clears throat> Think about that for a minute. First part, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, Paul, that's really hard. But Paul explains it. Okay? In everything, here's, here's how you do this. In everything by prayer and supplication. Now, I can understand this part. In everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to, God, known to God. I'm pretty good at that. You're pretty good at that. I can tell God all day long what I want from Him. In everything by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, it's okay to ask God what you want. But thank Him for whatever He gives you. That's what Paul's saying there. That's the only way we will ever deal with our anxiety in this life is when we have the kind of confidence in a providing God that we can thank Him before we even know what His answer is. And his answer may be, Joseph, 
you're going to have to go down to Egypt for a while, man. Yeah, you're going to spend a couple years in prison. But after that, I will do in you something you're not going to understand until you get there. And, and his answer to us may be, look, I'm going to, you got to trust me. you got to trust me. I'm going to, I'm going to do what, what I said in Romans 8, 28. I'm, I promise you I'm going to do it. I'm good. I'm good for, my word is good. Okay? But this thing that you're going through right now, you, you may not even understand what it is and why it's happening. There's going to come a Genesis 50 moment. Maybe in, maybe in this life. Maybe it won't be until the other side. But you're going to have that Genesis 50 moment where you look back to this thing that's going on and you're going to have that light bulb moment where you, you're like, oh, man, why didn't you tell me that? Like, why, could, why couldn't you, why did you have to hold out on me? It made me wait so long to figure it out. See, God works in these, in these ways of providing for us. And so Jesus says, talk to your heart and tell your heart about the providence of God. Here's the second thing he says. Tell your heart about the love of God, about the love of God. All these things relate. Here's the thing. <clears throat> because we may believe in a God who provides, but if that's not a good God, that's not very comforting. Because there could be a God out there who uh, is in control, and you're like, I don't trust him. I don't know that he's got my best interests at heart. He may, he may be like manipulating all this stuff and bringing about something that he wants for himself or whatever, some selfish goal, and it's really not what I need, not, not for my good. And so you've got to tell your heart that the God who is in control is the God who loves. And so Jesus says, the birds of the air, one, one of them falls to the ground. God knows. God knows. When um, the most insignificant of thing, things happen in life, God, God knows about it and he cares. Are you not of much more value than they? That's, those are the words of Jesus. Don't you think... Jesus says to us, and, and I gotta, you know, I think we know that Jesus is saying this with concern and compassion and love in his voice when he says this. Don't you know how much God loves you? Don't you know? You know he cares about the birds, you know he cares about the grass, he cares about the planet. But don't you know how much he cares about you? You're, you're worth so much more than those little birds. God cares about you. And so we got to tell our hearts about the love of God, that God who controls is the God who loves. And so he's bringing about this thing that is going to be truly and genuinely good. And you at some point, I at some point, will be able to see how good it is. If God, here's the way Paul put it later. If God did not spare his own son... Will he withhold from us anything that we truly need? See, if we believe that, you see how that might affect our struggles? Is when we see that that God who is in control. So one thing that happens, one thing that happens is our, our thinking is wrong. I want to close at the end of the chapter because he says it comes, your anxiety comes because you want to control, your thinking is wrong, and you have priorities that are misplaced, disordered priorities. Uh, you get things out of, out of order. So seek first the kingdom of God. Last song that we sang before the sermon. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Remember the story of Mary and Martha when they went to, when Jesus came to their house. And Martha was working in the kitchen. And she was so stressed out because Mary was not helping. Mary was in there sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach. And Martha's slaving away in the kitchen. And... Um, 
And she, uh, she gets ag- aggravated. She gets really frustrated with her sister. And she comes out there. And you remember Jesus' kind words to her? He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about so many things. It's the same word that, is, that he uses here in the sermon here. You are anxious about so many things. Mary has chosen the good part. What Jesus is teaching Martha, what he's teaching us in this moment is this. Our anxiety often is correlated, I guess always is correlated to our belief, to our making sure that Jesus is in the proper place. That's why he ends the sermon this way, or this part of the sermon. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, if Jesus is at the center, if he's at the center, then we will know that no matter what happens out here, the sinner will hold. The sinner is okay. The sinner is Jesus, and he's not going anywhere. Everything will be okay if the sinner is right. But what happens is we put other stuff in there, and it can be our health, it can be our kids, it can be work, it can be life itself. It can be good things, it can be bad things. Lots of things can get there to that center place, and that thing won't hold, whatever it is. Family's going to disappoint you at times. Your health is going to fail you. Work's not always going to be great. Life is going to be hard sometimes. And if you put those things in the center, you're going you're to struggle. But if he's there, if he's there, you know everything's going to be okay. I like this quotation. Your fears are like breadcrumbs. Follow them and you'll find the house of the witch. Listen to that again, if you would. Think think about that. Your fears are like the breadcrumbs. Follow them and you'll find the house of the witch. You know what that means? I, I think you probably get it. Look at the thing you're struggling with. Look at the thing that causes you anxiety, causes you anxiety. The fear, the worry, whatever it is. Try to, try to see if you can figure out what, what's being attacked there, what, what it is that's causing you to have sleepless nights. Follow your fear like breadcrumbs, and it's going to lead you to the house of the witch. In other words, it's going to lead you to that thing that is probably gotten over there in that center place in your life. Jesus, you've moved him out over here a little bit. And you've put that thing there. Follow the breadcrumbs and you'll find it. You see, it's disordered priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. It's you get that right and everything will ultimately be okay. Look, I want to make sure you know, I know, this is not a simple thing. This is a hard thing. This is a complicated thing. It's not an easy fix. This is, this is not something that, just, that you just do, you know, you go say a couple prayers and everything's just going to be perfect. That's not the way life works. But what Jesus is, if you get to the core of this, what Jesus is saying is, if you put him at the center and you truly believe that he's in control and he's going to work things out according to what is ultimately for your good, do you see how that will just dramatically cause your anxiety to go down? You're not in control, but it's okay. He is. And He loves you desperately. And when He's in the center, everything that radiates out from that is going to be better. 
It's got to be better. If you're not a Christian this morning, you know I've been talking about something you probably struggle with too. I'm sure you do. And I guess my answer to your anxiety would be that you have someone. You haven't turned to him yet, but you have someone who will help you live a, a life of contentment, a life that's, that, that responds to anxiety and struggles of life with, in healthy ways because your, your sinner's right. So, so what we want to tell you today is you've got to get the sinner right first, and that is you come to Jesus Christ and you say, Lord, I've tried everything else, you know, and to be honest, it hasn't worked very well. And you say to him, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. We baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins. God's Spirit comes to live within you. And you walk a life, not a perfect life, not a sinless life, not a worry-free life, but a life with the presence of Jesus at your side and the Spirit of God in your heart and God's goodness as your ultimate goal. And you can live life with confidence and hope. That's what we want to extend to you today on the Lord's behalf. If you need to come for baptism or for prayers, we're here for you. Let's stand. Let's sing this song. Won't you come?